This presidential campaign season is unlike any other in history. And I know that sounds like something people in the world of politics say a lot. But this time in 2020, amidst a global pandemic, the campaign trail looks dramatically different. And for now, pretty much empty. Former Vice President Joe Biden, the presumptive Democratic nominee, has spent the past few months holding virtual events, largely from his basement. President Trump, meanwhile, has resumed some travel, though in an official capacity as president and not as part of the campaign. That distinction, though, has been muddled as Trump's travel schedule shows trips to the battleground states that are crucial to his re-election chances. And what's more, these events have taken on clear campaign overtones. Supporters have lined the streets to greet Trump's motorcade, and his campaign soundtrack has even played inside a facility while he toured it. So is Trump leveraging unfair advantages with an election just six months away? And what powers does he have to ensure he can safely resume rallies, the kinds of events that are among his most powerful political tools? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. In this episode, I wanted to understand how the two campaigns were handling these unprecedented circumstances and how the president's power in crisis can also affect his ability to reach voters. Now, as I mentioned, former Vice President Biden has been running a virtual campaign operation from his house in Delaware. I talked to campaign reporter Sean Sullivan about how Biden's efforts have been going. Well, he's been appearing from his home for the last few weeks since about late March and he has tried to find different ways of reaching people. Initially, you would see a lot of Joe Biden from his converted basement studio, which he would use to beam into TV appearances, live streams. But we've seen a different variety over the past few weeks. They're trying to mix it up a little bit more. He has uh, a camera now in a different part of his house where there's more natural light. I talked to one of his digital strategists who said he even has the capability to, to go live from uh, the outside of his home, like in a, in a yard area. But for the most part, people are seeing Joe Biden in videos. They're hearing him on podcasts. They're seeing him on social media. He has not left his house. He's been campaigning from his home in Delaware and trying to stay in the conversation, trying to talk about the coronavirus, the economy, in a way that he hopes breaks through to people, even though he's not out there traveling around the country right now. So what does polling say about whether or not it is breaking through? What does polling show about the effectiveness of this virtual campaigning? Well, when you look at the head-to-head -head matchups right now against President Trump, he's doing pretty well. When you look at national polls, when you look at polls in the swing states that we think are going to be the ones that matter and potentially decide this election, he's doing really well. And that heartens a lot of Democrats. But you also see a little bit of a division in the Democratic Party right now, because on one side, you see Democrats who look at those polls and they say, look, this is great. It's fine. We don't necessarily need to have Joe Biden out there on the campaign trail, particularly right now when the health situation is still uncertain. But then there are other Democrats who do worry that if he continues to just campaign from his house, that that could ultimately be a challenge politically, especially as President Trump is out there more and he's begun to travel a little bit more. And they look at the situation, some of these Democrats do, and they say, well, if people's opinions change about President Trump, 
then what does Joe Biden do? How does he change that conversation? And part of their concern is that Joe Biden is not an office holder. He's not a senator. He's not a member of Congress. He's not a governor. So there is some concern, or at least there has been in the party, that he's not really in the daily conversation the way Trump is, or even the way a Nancy Pelosi or an Andrew Cuomo is. So even as the polling is pretty encouraging for Biden, there's still some Democratic nervousness that if opinions about Trump change, if opinions about the job he's doing changes, they need Biden to be out there or at least prepared to be out there. And, and some people I've talked to have sort of suggested in their own minds or brainstormed uh, ways that they think they'd like to see him out there. To some of them, it doesn't have to be a big rally or a big event. It could be a visit to uh, a local fire station or some sort of smaller scale event where he has the proper PPE. So there is there is certainly some pressure in the Democratic Party for him to get out there more. If the polling turned around at some point, I think that pressure would become much louder. On the contrary, are there considerations among campaign advisors or other Democrats that the lesser presence might benefit Biden in some way? Well, there are some Democrats, and a lot of them wouldn't say this publicly, who understand that Joe Biden is somebody who, over the course of his career, has been more gaff-prone than most candidates. And so by having these structured events in remote settings, you reduce the risk of that happening. And I think some Democrats are aware of that. But on the other hand, Biden is somebody who also has thrived on the retail circuit. He's somebody who likes to talk to people, seems to be joyful on the campaign trail. He sticks around after events. He snaps selfies with people. He likes to talk to people in a way that is also different from other candidates. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, whatever advantage there may be in having him off the physical campaign trail, there's certainly are disadvantages politically for him as well. And is Biden's choice to stay home also intended to send a political message about taking the recommendations of public health professionals? How does that factor into the decision making around Biden leaving and getting out on the trail? What they've said from the beginning is they're looking at uh, what the scientists and what the experts say, and they haven't signaled, at least at this point, any indication that he is going to be out there anytime soon. When they've been pressed on this, this question of when is he going to be out? When is he going to be campaigning? The response is, well, he is campaigning. He's campaigning every day from his home and he's doing it in a different way. So it doesn't feel, at least at this point, that the campaign feels pressure to get him out there sooner rather than later. So Biden may be holding all of his events virtually for quite some time. But of course, there's more to a digital campaign than Zoom events. How does the rest of Biden's digital operation compared to that of the Trump campaign? Well, right now, there is a sense in the Democratic Party that the Biden campaign operation overall is uh, still trying to build out, still trying to get bigger. It's not the massive operation that the Trump campaign is. And it's been a little bit touch and go. They had to sort of build this basement studio on the fly. And then he's also been trying to do events with organizations, things hosted by groups that are allied with him that are live streaming these events on Facebook and, and others. But Trump has a huge, massive social media following. Anything he tweets or says is magnified to an extent that you're not seeing with Biden. So it is a challenge in terms of visibility for Biden to build a digital operation 
that can compete with Trump. He may not ultimately be able to match Trump in terms of the number of eyeballs or clicks or retweets or likes on Facebook or things of that nature. But I also get the sense right now that the campaign doesn't feel that it necessarily has to do that. But it certainly has been a challenge. And indeed, we've seen in some of these events that there have been glitches, there have been technical malfunctions. So building a digital operation that can go live, that can go national, it's still a challenge that Biden is dealing with and trying to confront right now. And it's one that no campaign really has ever had to deal with in the history of modern campaigning. So meanwhile, his opponent in this race, President Trump, has a bit more visibility. Trump's able to go to meetings and have news conferences at the White House and such. Does this present a unique challenge for Joe Biden? It is a challenge. And I think it's one that Democrats I've talked to believe is a challenge that could become more serious as the coming months unfold. And it's always a challenge for a challenger running against an incumbent because the incumbent is the president of the United States. They're more visible. They're going to command more time, scrutiny, attention on newscasts. But the difference, too, now is that we are starting to see President Trump physically travel. He was in Arizona recently for an event. We've not seen that with Joe Biden. And so there is a belief among some Democrats that that is a potential obstacle that's going to have to be overcome. How do you run against somebody who every time he appears in public at the White House or beyond, every time he says something on social media, is going to command so much attention? The flip side of that argument is a lot of Biden allies would say it's negative attention that Trump is drawing. He's stoking controversies. He's misstating facts. He's alienating a lot of people and angering a lot of people with his response to the pandemic. And if that's going to get a lot of attention, then that's going to get a lot of attention. And that's not something that accrues to Biden's detriment. But there is a desire, I think, in the Democratic Party to have a nominee who is out there, who's visible, because when you're not the party in power, the nominee is effectively, unofficially, the leader of the Democratic Party. He's the one who people will look to to set the message, to set the tone, to respond to the incumbent. And so it is an ongoing challenge that the Biden campaign is going to have to deal with is how to match Trump's presence. And then the question is, do they even really want to match Trump's presence? Some Democrats right now are content with him laying low the way he is. Now, as president, Trump is inherently more visible than his presumptive rival. But what other advantages does his position grant him? For insight into the ways in which the power of the presidency can be leveraged to campaign during a crisis, I turn to The Post's White House reporter, Tolu Olurunipa. And of course, conversations about the Trump campaign often start with one of the president's signature ways to energize his supporters, the Trump rally. Well, the mega rallies are the centerpiece of Trump's campaign. They have been since 2015 and 2016 when he first splashed onto the political scene and decided to create these spectacles where he brought out thousands of people, had very raucous rallies. And after the president won his unlikely victory in 2016, he never stopped holding rallies. He kept holding rallies right after Inauguration Day 2017, even though there was no election 2018 for the midterms, early 2019. His campaign has sort of oriented themselves around the idea of the president going to big arenas, holding major rallies. They use it to get data on the people who come to the rallies. They use it to energize people and get them excited about voting for the president. The president uses it to energize himself. Sometimes he goes and speaks to rallies for an hour, an hour and a half, and he really loves the adoration that he gets from his most loyal supporters. 
And it shows uh, that he has enthusiasm behind him, that he has enthusiasm behind his campaign, that people are willing to wait outside. His campaign says people wait outside in the rain and overnight and then snow just to see the president speak. And that kind of enthusiasm is hard to uh, replicate. And it's hard for any candidate to show that they have that level of enthusiasm in their voter base. And for President Trump to be able to do that, it makes his campaign look more formidable. And of course, now in light of a global pandemic, Trump has not been able to hold these rallies thus far. When was his last rally? His last rally was on March 2nd, 2020. That's more than 80 days ago. It's been the longest stretch that he's had without a rally. Going back to 2015, there's only one time in which he had a longer stretch without a rally. That includes the the holiday period of 2017. So he's been doing these rallies on a regular basis. And the fact that he's been taken off the campaign trail, the key moment of the presidential campaign, we're less than six months away, is a clear sign that this pandemic is really upending his ability to campaign the way he thought he would be campaigning just ahead of his uh, re-election vote. And yet Trump has started traveling, at least in an official capacity, again as president. Has that travel included campaign-related events? What have these travels been like? Uh, Well, according to the White House, these are all official events. But if you actually look at how these events take place, where they take place, they are very much similar to the rallies. He's going to swing states. He's going to places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, He is holding uh, very political events where he attacks his Democratic rivals, including Joe Biden, where he talks about all the great things he's done over the last three years in order to sort of get people thinking about this idea of voting for him again. And even the playlist, the musical playlist that comes on before he speaks, is the same playlist that they play at his rallies. They're smaller events. They involve social distancing now because of the pandemic in many cases. But he's trying to show that with the power that he has as president, with the Air Force One and all the accoutrements of being president, he can still hit the campaign trail and go to major states and remind voters in those states that he is running for re-election. So he can do some of the things that you mentioned, like play his his campaign music, his traditional rally music when he enters these plants and such. But how do these official events sort of limit Trump's ability to tout what his administration's biggest accomplishments have been, the policies that he was planning to base parts of his reelection campaign on? Can he use official business to promote these messages in the same way? Well, he's not supposed to uh, do clear partisan politicking on the taxpayer dime and during official events, but he does anyway. And it is harder for him to go directly into just campaigning, in part because he has to focus on the pandemic. All of his travel has been in some ways related to the pandemic. He's visited PPE suppliers, people that make masks, people that make ventilators. He's tried to go to places that show that he is in command of this pandemic response. So he hasn't just been able to go to a big rally in a big state and just talk about politics. He's had to have some sort of official reason to go. And that makes it harder for him to do solely campaigning, solely talking about politics. He just sort of fits it in these days. I think if not for the pandemic, he would be traveling much more often, much more regularly, and his travel would be almost completely focused on telling voters to vote for him in November because of the restrictions that are on him and because of the the current situation on the ground in many of these states with lots of people hospitalized and thousands of cases. It just doesn't really make sense for him to be only focused on his reelection, only focused on his own political fate. He's in control of what has been a very deadly pandemic that has not only hurt the health of Americans, but also has cost millions of jobs and has led us to sort of a depression level of unemployment.
So some of the things he typically likes to tout and talk about specifically around immigration or other policies that his administration is really proud of aren't necessarily appropriate in a lot of these settings. He still sometimes talks about them, but he doesn't wax eloquently on those issues for minutes on end. His average rally speech usually is longer than an hour, and he ticks through all the things that he's done on immigration, on trade, on health care, on the economy. These days, he can't really spend a lot of time talking about the economy because the economy is essentially in shambles. He's talked about what the economy used to be. And, you know, he says that I've built the greatest economy in, in history and I'm going to rebuild it. But it just doesn't strike the right chord to be bragging about the economy at a time when more than 30 million people have lost their jobs in the last two months. So we've laid out why these rallies feel so integral to Trump and to the campaign. President Trump's son, Eric Trump, on Fox News on Saturday accused Democrats of trying to strip the president of these rallies because they're really his greatest reelection weapon. And the president himself has said Biden is benefiting from the closures because they have kept Biden out of the spotlight. So is there evidence that states are making politically based decisions in terms of business closures and restricted gatherings and other social distancing measures to keep either of the candidates from being able to have rallies? I talked to several swing states across the country, several officials, Republican and Democrat, and they say that this is not a politically motivated decision to decide when to open their states or when to open up for rallies. In fact, the Trump campaign has not even reached out to some of the Republican states that have been willing to open up their economies and relax their restrictions to try to schedule a rally because I think the Trump campaign knows that this is not the time to be having thousands of people packed into an arena at a time when a virus is still spreading. There's no vaccine, even though some people within the Trump campaign and sometimes the president himself have tried to say that this is all about politics, that the Democrats don't want him holding rallies, and that's why they're keeping their restrictions in place. If you look at it, uh, both Democrats and Republicans have kept restrictions on large, massive gatherings in place, in part because they realize lots of uh, cases in the past have come from these large gatherings. If we take all of this together, Trump has urged the country to reopen with mixed messages at times, but generally advocating for the country to reopen. Does his advocacy relate to his desire to campaign, his desire to hold these rallies? Does your reporting indicate that the president is hoping to reopen the country so that he can begin to campaign more aggressively or perhaps to reopen the country to show that his administration has the virus under control? That's a big part of it, actually. The president was asked about this a few weeks ago, uh, and, and he was sort of asked, when will we get back to normal? And the first thing he said was, normal means I get to hold my rallies again, that people have been asking me about rallies. He directly compares his rallies to the sense of normalcy that he wants to bring back. And I think that's part of the reason he's pushing for the country to get back open as quickly as possible. He has been cooped up in the White House, even though he's traveled occasionally for official events. He would much rather be on the road three or four days a week, holding massive rallies, having people gather in large groups to you know, show their support and adoration for him. He realizes that he has less than six months before he has to face voters, and he wants to be able to hit the road and show them that he is worthy of re-election. Now, given that he wants this and he is the president, how much power does he actually have to influence states or localities or, or places to let him host major rallies? Well, his power is actually pretty limited because these states make the ultimate decision about what's allowed in their states, what 
kind of businesses that will allow to host major events. Uh, they can essentially shut down arenas or shut down businesses if they try to hold rallies. But the president does have the power of the bully pulpit. He has the political power of being the head of the Republican Party. There are about 20 or so Republican governors who have control over their states, and the president can essentially lean on them to tell them that they should start relaxing their restrictions, that he wants to hold a rally, so they should allow for it. And even some Democratic governors would not want to be seen as sort of playing politics with this pandemic by trying to block the president from holding rallies if it seems like the only reason that they're stopping uh, certain events is because they want to block the president. So the president's put some pressure on these Democratic governors by making that accusation and saying the only reason that they're keeping their states closed is because they want to block these rallies from taking place. In terms of the president's actual power to stop states or to keep states open and to keep them open for his rallies, he has a very limited amount of power. But as the sort of center of this response, he has a lot of political power to try to put pressure on both Republican and Democratic states to open up and to allow him to hold rallies in their localities. And what about Trump's ability to influence how the American people perceive the threat of the virus and perceive whether or not it's safe to even go to an event like this? Yeah, he does have a large amount of power to tell the American people what the federal government believes is the safety precautions. So he can say to Americans that it's okay to go to rallies, that it's okay to attend large events, and a large chunk of the American public will believe him. And uh, that's a major part of his power in this sense. Uh, If he holds a news conference and he can speak to millions of Americans who are stuck at home and who would be willing to listen to him and who may be willing to act based on what he says. So that is a power that he has that other politicians and other people who aren't in power don't have. And this is something the president has been using very uh, significantly since he started manning some of the press conferences around this pandemic and really taking a more central role in uh, the response. So does your reporting indicate that the president actually plans to host campaign events soon? Has his campaign reached out to set these things in motion? Yes, his campaign has said that he, that he plans to be back out on the road holding campaign events as soon as possible. And I think we can look at some of the official events that he's doing as a precursor to that. They're testing out during these taxpayer-funded events how much the president can go out, how to safely go to places where he would need to hold rallies, what kind of rallies can take place. So far, his campaign has been doing a lot of digital events, digital campaigning. We haven't seen the president appear at any of these digital events, but that may be sort of a next step uh, that he attends some of these digital online events and that ramps up and becomes a physical rally in the near future. They haven't told us exactly when they're planning to do this, but we do know plans are being made to get back on the campaign trail. Now, if the president wants to hold campaign events, are there restrictions on on him, given that he's the president? By that, I mean, does Secret Service or other safety officials tasked with protecting the president have a role to play in taking extreme measures to keep him safe from the virus? So can they say you cannot attend an event like this, a crowded event where people are uh, directing loud voices towards you, that this would not be safe for anyone, let alone the president of the United States? Could they stop him from pursuing this? So the president is very strong-willed, and he has been known to overrule his advisors. So even though we have the White House doctor, we have the Secret Service, we have the chief of staff and various advisors to the president who may be telling him, you should not hold a rally, you should not be in large crowd, you should not be going on planes where the virus can spread, the president may decide that he wants to take that risk. He may decide that he feels like he is not likely to catch the virus and that the risk uh, is worth the benefit of being able to hold his rallies. We've seen him really try to push forward with real 
reopening and getting back to normal and saying it's time to get rid of these restrictions, even though a lot of public health officials say that he may be doing that too soon. So now they can put in safety precautions. They can make sure that when he does hold a rally, it's as safe as possible. Maybe that they enforce social distancing or they keep the president far away from any of the people who would be attending these rallies. But at the end of the day, it's his prerogative to decide whether he wants to put politics ahead of public safety. And uh, he has the ability to do that, even if some of his advisors don't want him to. And then another side of the same coin, does Trump have the ability to mobilize more protections that make it safer for him to hold rallies than perhaps the Biden campaign would be able to have? Does does Trump have more resources to implement safety measures, uh, more money, more people to protect him that would make a Trump rally safer for Trump or more able to be executed for Trump than it would for Biden? Yes, as a sitting president, he has a lot of resources at his disposal. We see it at the White House in which there are daily tests for anyone who comes into contact with the president, tests for coronavirus. They could take that on the road so that anyone who's coming into contact with the president, whether it's VIPs at these rallies or even rally attendees who are going to be close to the president, can get tested. So he has something that not many politicians have and the the ability to make sure that he's getting tested, that people around him are getting tested, that any resources that are needed in order to make the place where he would hold a rally safe, that the Secret Service would have those resources as part of their mission to protect the president. They would have essentially unlimited resources to make sure that any safety precautions that need to be taken would be taken. And that's something that other politicians, that Democratic rivals at this point, even if they do have some level of Secret Service protection, do not have. Now, given all of this, what do you expect the next few months on the campaign trail to look like? I expect them to begin to start the process of holding rallies, to start putting their toes in the water, maybe holding virtual events first with the president, then holding some smaller socially distanced in-person events while still continuing to hold official events as he's been doing. And then by the time we get into the fall, I do expect the president to be holding full-scale rallies whether he does it in a way that is somewhat more safe for the public than his you know, technical original rallies in which people did not have to wear masks, did not have to social distance. I wouldn't be surprised if they put in some measures to try to increase public safety. So while I have you, I want to ask you about one other piece of Trump election news this week. President Trump on Wednesday threatened to hold up federal funding to Michigan and Nevada in response to the state's plans to increase voting by mail. And we've covered mail-in voting quite a bit on this show. But at this point, do we know what funds Trump was referring to in this case and whether he actually has the ability to withhold some election-related funds to these states? Yeah, we've tried to get the White House to answer this, and they've essentially said that they don't have an answer and that they're telling us to talk to the Trump campaign about this. So it's not clear what the president was referring to. In those tweets, he actually tagged the leader of the Office of Management and Budget and the Treasury Department, saying that he wanted them to find out whether or not he could restrict funding from these states. So it sounds like something he just tweeted out and the government is trying to figure out whether or not there's any truth to it. It's not true that it was illegal for Michigan or any other state to send out uh, mail-in ballot applications to their residents. That's something that a number of states do, and it essentially is is something that's allowed under the law. And uh, these people who are receiving these applications would have a choice as to whether or not they wanted to fill out the application or vote normally. But for the president to threaten, whether it's relief funding or any other kinds of federal funding from Michigan, it's not clear that he actually has the power to do that based on the fact that Michigan and, and other states are acting within the law and punishing them for doing something that's lawful is uh, 
likely to be something that the courts would frown upon. So I would be surprised if this is something that the president actually tries to do. But I think sometimes with this president just having the threat and having the news about this threat in the headlines is the intended effect. And that's what he's going for, even if he doesn't have the power to do what he's threatening to do. All right. And we've seen that many times before here on Can He Do That? Tolu, thank you so much for joining us. You got it. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. The Washington Post is doing everything we can to bring you coverage of the coronavirus crisis, this administration, and so much more. If you're able, one way to help support our work and get unlimited access to every scoop and story is to become a subscriber. Can He Do That listeners get a special subscription offer at WashingtonPost.com slash CHDT offer. That's WashingtonPost.com slash CHDT, as in Can He Do That? Offer. Thank you so very much for your support. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Ariel Plotnick with logo art from Loren Boglio and theme music by Ted Muldoon.